This is To The Point, a podcast from Point Predictive. Thanks, gents, for coming up and talking to us a little bit about uh, the front lines of auto fraud. There's a microphone, and I think you're going to scream. Yep. Okay. Good morning. Can everybody hear me back there? Everybody here probably understands that the cars here built in the United States are built better, a little bit more horsepower. So if the suspects could hang on to the car long enough and have a contact in another country, they could sell it obviously for triple the value. So the port, the port cities uh, are high target and also drug routes. Suspects figured out a lot of the rental fraud cars are used to run dope across the states. And then of course you look at the top states where a lot of the drugs end up or part of that whole list of it. Now Vegas comes into play because what, it, what is, what do we like to go to Vegas? Gambling, entertainment, like to show off, you know, VIP it all the way, correct? So you got to understand the criminals that are involved in the fraud, what do they like to drive? So who's involved? On the legal side, obviously there's people that are legal that could afford these vehicles, but they like doing this, criminals like to do the same thing that we like to do, except they obviously like to steal money and go via, via it all the way where I'm trying to save money and go on the different websites to get the cheaper hotels and they just go and spend and splurge. So a little bit of everybody's involved. <clears throat> and you know, criminal street gangs, drug dealers, and then they all learn from each other because they see you know, one group will look at the other group going, man, how are they doing that? And then they'll go make contacts and befriend each other somewhat, and then they'll start learning from each other and they'll take on and do the same kind of trends. So crimes committed, pretty much everything. When they, and this is on the auto fraud side, so once they're able to get the cars, what do they like to do? They go commit their crimes. Uh, which involves a little bit of everything. So our current trends that we're seeing both in Texas, California, and throughout the United States, uh, we call it hybrid identity theft. So instead of full-blown identity theft, you have the suspects using their real name, real picture, um, and then also just using somebody else's information. So like Dave Navarro, I'll just go find another Dave Navarro using TLO, LexisNexis, or on the, web, on the internet and use their social security number, but then I use my own driver license. And so they're not afraid, they're not really concerned about law enforcement catching on because they're, they're so rampant, they're so good at what they're doing. They're more concerned about uh, you know, that vehicle getting repossessed. That's what they're mainly concerned about, especially with the criminal justice system now. A lot of them are just getting a slap on the wrist because again, it's property crime, especially in LA County, which is in California. Uh, you could go steal a car and you're gonna get a ticket, you're not gonna get booked into jail. And you'll just get a ticket and they'll just go do it again over and over and over again. So that's, they, they understand how the system works and they take advantage of it. We got business acquisition, just like Frank was talking about with uh, fictitious businesses or suspects are going online, finding a business that's closed down. They'll go on the state website, re-register it under their name, and then they'll use that business again. <clears throat> Credit washing, rental fraud, title washing, title washing with VIN switched vehicles or cloned vehicles, and then title washing with fictitious out-of-state titles, impound extortion, and then social norm scams that really took off especially during the COVID system, the season. Turn it over to Darren. Okay, so talking about Houston specifically, um, we still see the traditional um, three ways of doing fraud in Houston. Uh, one is what the Frank just talked about with the check stubs and the uh, fraudulent history. That's the document fraud. We have traditional identity theft. Now, we see a lot of that because what happens? When somebody's a victim of identity theft, they actually report it. Correct. So when you're a victim, it gets reported. We get made aware of it. Y'all get made aware of it. That's how we know. Synthetic identity, on the other hand, if I was going to turn it into a life of crime, that's what I would do hands down. 
because who's going to report themselves to the credit bureaus? Nobody. You create a synthetic identity, you're not going to report it. You're just going to use it until it's abused, until they do a, 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 a total uh, bust out on it, right? But then what's crazy is they'll take these busted out synthetic identities and they'll do a credit repair on them and use them again. So uh, that's kind of some of the stuff that's just crazy out there to think that you can make a whole new human, create the fraud, bust it out, and let's just go ahead and clean it up again and use it again. So there's two aspects I talk about on synthetic. So with the synthetic identity, there's the full synthetic where you make a totally new human. Everybody knows about that. I can use his last name, his first name, her date of birth, her driver's license number, obtain some sort of CPN, and then start building a fully synthetic person out of thin air. You know, so we all know how that is, how it's done. Uh, but what we're seeing uh, a rise in is the hybrid synthetic. Uh, so when we have the... Um, the actual innocent person thinking that, okay, my credit is ruined. I have, uh, you know, I went through a divorce. I went through a certain um, situation in my life. So my credit is torn up. Somebody offers them a chance to rebuild it. And when they rebuild it, they're not realizing they're committing a felony offense. Because in most states, uh, pretty much all states that I'm aware of, if you use anything but your God-given social on a uh, credit application, you're committing a felony offense. It's called false statement to obtain credit in Texas. Uh, so these people that are being duped into believing that it's a legitimate way to restart your credit, um, they can actually become criminals overnight. Now, some of them are using CPNs and they're hybrid to um, purposely create fraudulent trade lines so they can bust them out and move on to the next one. Then when it comes time to pay the piper, uh, with that money, they say, hey, look, that's not my social. I don't know who did that, but that's not me, right? Uh, so we see a lot of that um, happening, but usually when I'm seeing it, it's the person that is innocently using it. So uh, in my world, dealership calls and says, hey, listen, uh, this uh, we got charged back on this loan. They said that it's a kid's social or some sort of uh, fraudulent social that was being used. And then when I do the deeper dive on it, there's no criminal history on the person. There's no intent in my book that they're actually trying to commit a crime. Uh, it's just a synthetic uh, CPN that they're using. And, and when I talk to them, they're usually freely telling me, yeah, credit repair agency that I found on Facebook Marketplace uh, said they could offer me a new social, um, new way to develop history. And, you know, it's kind of hard for us as law enforcement to go after somebody like that when we don't see any other indicators of crime uh, to actually follow up with that. Um, I'm going to let you do your little section here. So on this one here, and I put out this information, this case has already been filed, so if you put a PRA request, you're going to be able to get all the information, so it's already uh, public record. Uh, but the, hit, hit it one more time, see if it comes up. So here's our suspect on top, Brendan Gonzalez. This is where we get the hybrid identity theft, where Brendan Gonzalez found another Brendan Gonzalez, the victim on the bottom, and used her social security number. So she provided her real driver license. You can see the difference in date of birth. And when we're dealing with the dealerships, obviously dealerships, what do they mainly look at when they pull a credit report? The score. That's it. They don't compare anything else. Uh, they want to ask questions. You want to add anything? Oh, I thought you want to add something. Um, and, and so it's blatantly, you can see the date of birth is totally off, but yet they still were able to get her financed 
A little unique thing on this one though, during when we were talking to the finance manager, her boyfriend was a legit gangster, had tattoos of horns on his head, tattoos all over his face. So the finance managers were pretty much telling us like, I pretty much knew this was bad, but I just wanted to hurry up and get him out of the dealership because I didn't want to deal with any kind of problems. And so, and they purposely do that as well. And there's some other tactics that some of these suspects use. But we see this a lot. It's a little bit more hybrid versus the synthetic in California. When it comes to auto loans, the synthetic IDs are kind of going down, and we're seeing a little bit more of like the old school identity theft, but it's a little bit of hybrid because the straw purchasers that are going and buying these vehicles are using a little bit of their legitimate information. Uh, another case that we had, and the same thing, is these suspects, they understand the system, they understand our side, and they also understand your side. They understand that a lot of these dealerships as well have, they do have that identity, uh, identity software where they could see if the, if the identity or the driver license is legitimate or not. But they also know that some of the dealerships don't spend the money on the high-end software, they'll just get the one just for California. So we're constantly seeing a lot of out-of-state driver license in California. Um, I know most of that identity theft software is, doesn't cover Washington, so you'll see a lot of fake Washington IDs as well. But what the suspect did here is that's his real picture. And so we're able to use the facial recognition software to, to find out his true identity. And what he was doing is a little bit quasi of identity theft where he's stealing other people's information as well as he was using synthetic ID and creating fake profiles. And he was buying a whole bunch of high-end motorcycles. <clears throat> but just kind of an example where they understand the system and, and, and when we're interviewing him, he works by himself and he was kind of pissed off on how we identified him. And so we have to be careful in our reports because we obviously we don't want to teach the crooks. And so we didn't want to put in there how we identified him through the facial recognition software. And again, he was, he was like, no one ratted me out. I don't work with anybody. I didn't do anything. I would do everything by myself. And so they're constantly trying to learn. They're trying to figure out what we're doing to combat this stuff. And then, of course, they just change their tactics, which we're all familiar with. Um, I want to throw up this one up here for the rental, car, rental fraud trends. This is when we talk about the cartels. Obviously, organized crimes involved, street gangs are involved, drug deals are involved because they like to drive the high-end cars, and that's why they like, they're, they're attracted to the auto fraud. Same thing with outlaw motorcycle gangs. They figured out instead of stealing a Harley-Davidson, breaking it all down, and building another Harley-Davidson, they could just go out and do a fraud purchase on a brand-new Harley-Davidson. And then, all the, again, these suspects' main concerns are the repossession. They want to be able to hang on to these cars long enough, and again, they've changed their tactics to where they're able to do that as well uh, from a, when, a, when it is a legit fraud purchase from the beginning. So when it comes to the cartels, well, we're seeing a big uptake, and we're seeing a lot of, uh, so essentially it's a straw renter, straw purchaser, straw renter. A lot of Hispanics and Romanians are involved in California, and what they're doing is going to, to the airports, because obviously the airports carry a lot of the high-end rental, rental vehicles. They'll go to LAX, or they'll go to John Wayne, which is in Orange County, and they're specifically targeting 4x4s and SUVs, because that's what the cartels like to drive down there. Um, and so they'll drive them straight down to the border, they'll, start, they'll drop them off at the border, Somebody else who gets paid will come up from Mexico, pick it up, and then drive it down south, and then you'll never see the vehicle again. Uh, and then on the flip side, what happens is the renter will go and file a police report saying that they were carjacked, that they parked it on front of their driveway, and then the vehicle's gone. And so we've seen a huge uptake on that. Um, <clears throat> as well, when, when we're dealing with Mexico and the cartels, the cartels are still more involved in VIN switching. They're dabbling into the fraud because when they have to register the vehicle, they're using a title wash scheme to obtain title, and so they're able to, you know, so they can legitimately register it down in Mexico or wherever state they're living in. Uh, but we're still seeing, they haven't really fully jumped into the whole fraud purchase aspect. It's more of the VIN switching, um, and they're very good at it because GM uh, has a plant down in Mexico, 
So when it comes to VIN switching, they know how to build VINs so they look legitimate. They know how to, they know all the intricacies of security features on a GM vehicle, because again, of that plant down there. And they just pay off the workers and that's how they learn. Okay, so when talking with Frank about what we were gonna discuss today, um, and it looks like we're doing super fast on time compared to what our, our, um, our time slot is. Uh, so the artificial pay down, this is where it's really affecting y'all's world as well as the dealership world. So last year I saw where I probably had four times that a dealership would call and here's the scenario. Uh, somebody, a real person, has a vehicle. They're either selling it off the streets to the dealership or they're trading it in for something else. Uh, so the, let's say the vehicle's a $50,000 vehicle. Just prior to taking that vehicle in there, they send a $30,000 check, let's say $40,000 check, to the finance company to do an artificial pay down. So now when the dealership checks, it shows a $10,000 payoff. The dealership's like, cool, there's a lot of equity in this car we'll buy it straight from you. So they're gonna give the crook a, let's, let's say on a $40,000 pay down that they've done, you know, of course, dealership's gonna make the money on it, so they're gonna give them $30,000 check for the equity they have in that vehicle. Now the problem is the dealership is relying on a lot of times an automated system that the finance companies have to look at the payoff on a vehicle. Well, at the time, the finance company reflects $10,000. They take the, the vehicle in, they hold it in their inventory while they prep it and they prepare to sell it. They don't pay it off right away. They don't send that money immediately whenever they see the $10,000 payoff. So later on, when they're actually trying to tile it to the next customer, they go to send off the payment. Now it's showing $50,000 again. That is the actual payoff. Now, the crook got $30,000, but now the dealership has to pay off $50,000 so the dealerships in, uh, you know, in, on the ticket for $80,000 because they gave $30,000 away and now they got to pay off the car for $50,000. So they get hit twice. Now, uh, this is an opportunity I want to talk with the industry here while y'all are all here. What is y'all's typical procedure for somebody who does a big, uh, quick pay down on a vehicle? Is there, is there any red flags that trip within y'all's industry at the time? Can anybody care to comment on that? So there's no red flags, there's, okay, go ahead, please. So you're saying they hold it uh, for a period of time before they reflect it? Yeah. Okay. That should be the actual way it's done. Uh, so anytime that there's you know, a large payment made on a situation, there should be automatic red flags that go off the payment should hold, should not reflect on the account until the money actually clears the bank and it shows to be good. So, but apparently that's not what's happening. So I've, uh, last year I had maybe four uh, instances throughout the whole year. I've had six in the last month. So it's a definite growing trend. And here's the, th here's the key. These people that are doing it, they don't care. They've got a $30,000 check in their pocket off, if it does become a criminal matter or is brought to our attention, they're not worried about it because they're going to get a very light slap on the wrist for taking $30,000 worth of check on this situation because it's hard to prove. The other part of it is that they're, um, 
for us to investigate, we now have to go through official processes of subpoena bank records, uh, trying to get uh, to prove that account never had the money in the first place. And then if we do prove that up, the DA's office is still very hesitant to try to prosecute somebody who's a real person. So that's where we see. Frank, it looks like you're chomping at the bit. Oh, no, no. It's just uh, if there were questions, I have a microphone. Oh, gotcha. OK, I thought you were uh, going to make a comment. Uh, so uh, within y'all's industry, uh, do y'all see a rise in this, or have y'all seen cases of this come across y'all's fraud world? I've heard of it in Florida mainly, but you know the fraudsters have figured this out, and you know the dealership wants to pay off whenever business hours are closed, and our system talks to the dealer tracker out one system, quotes a payoff, and it's an automated type of process that that kind of needs to have an interrupt in in between there somewhere. I agree, definitely. There should be some more. Um, checks and balances in place for situations like that. Um, but like I said, it, it's something that was just alarming because I mean, like I said, all of last year I had four and I don't know that there's a link, I haven't done any type of link analysis on the six that I've, I've heard of in the last month. Uh, but there's very possibly some sort of link and if it's not an official link we can see, guaranteed it's an informal link uh, where somebody's talking about the scheme and how you can uh, make money at selling your car back to a dealership um, it's just a, it's a nightmare for the dealership is where it is the ultimate victim of it. All right, let's move on. Bin swapping. So, oh, go ahead, sir. Pay down, not a pay off. So if it's a pay down, sorry, yeah. pay down, then we, that's weird. Uh, we surely credit the account um, right away but the check may bounce back in seven days. That's what I'm talking about. There needs to be something in place on a situation where there's a large pay down on an account because they purposely don't pay it off because they realize that's a different process when you pay it off. So if you've got a $50,000 vehicle and you pay down $40,000 leaving a $10,000 balance, typically y'all systems don't catch that. And that's what I was getting at is that there needs to be something in place where if there's a certain dollar amount uh, that is, you know, paid down towards a vehicle that it does not reflect for a certain number of days until you're for sure that the account is credited. So those ten four thousand dollar payments over what period of time would you see? Yeah. Uh, uh, that I, I could see for sure. Uh, are, are you seeing this? I'm over here. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Are you seeing this early on in the transaction, or is it like months later? Is it like a brand new purchase, and then they see the pay down happens? Or where are you seeing this? In so actually, I've seen it more towards uh, you know after it's been established for a while, and I think what I think what's happening with these people is they're realizing, okay, I have a $50,000 car, maybe I'm not making as much money as I wanna make, you know, maybe I'm, I'm hurting for cash, okay? So a lot of dealerships are buying cars off the streets. 
So they go in there to, to buy this, to sell their vehicle off for the dealership to take it off their hands. So they purposely float a fraudulent check to the payoff so that it showed that artificial pay down and then they get their check from it and just walk off and now they've made $30,000. If you're talking about somebody who doesn't usually have two pennies to rub together and now he's got $30,000, he doesn't care about the repercussions down the road. We built two red flags reports on payment activity, uh, individual payment size, as well as uh, threshold for multiple payments made like within a seven day period. And that's how we're tracking it because of exactly what Jody said with the dealer tracking route one automated payoffs. Um, we're based in Florida, so we see it um, periodically. We've had a couple situations to your comment that the dealer's on the hook. A lot of time it's also the finance company, even though we're passing that information, we're also still on the hook trying to resolve the situation with them. So we've had a couple times where we've negotiated with our dealer um, that that information was passed to them. They understand how it happened, and then we try to resolve it so we can continue doing business together. Uh, exactly, and so that's a that's a good point about uh, keeping your dealer relations, and and so most of the time that I've seen it, it's been the dealerships totally on the hook still because the finance company just throws their hands up and say, hey, sorry, my bad, and they just move on, uh, and they just say, sorry, this is what the loan actual payoff is, and that's what you're going to do. Hopefully, there is something like that uh, that you where there's a compromise of some sort, but still, there's a victim when it's all said and done. And the chances that it gets brought to the attention, given to law enforcement, fully investigated, fully charged, that's one thing, but you'll never see the money again regardless. If I could ask a follow-up question. On the red flag report, how are you using it now? So if you get a big payment, do you not reflect it? Mickey's point um, on if it's happening early on or later on on the loan, it's both in our experience. So sometimes we'll see a new loan where the day after booking, they'll make one payment right away. And then they see how that activity starts to work and then they might send a $5,000 check. And then they start sending a week later, $10,000. And then you start to combine all that stuff in. And so we try to see if they'll communicate with us um, is the first thing. And then we try to look into notes um, just from a servicing perspective to see are there dealers calling, act, asking for payoffs, things like that. And then we immediately follow up with them to find out what the situation is. So real quick on that, uh, when you're talking multiple payments over an extended period of time, I don't understand where that would be a, uh, a good process to do fraud because the check number one you, d you did a week ago is going to bounce before check number three, four, or five. All within seven days, typically before and So what y'all turn back. around on identification, then then reapplying uh, back onto the loan? How long is y'all's turn around from the time you, you find a fraudulent check and then you reapply that balance back? As uh, soon as we get the communication back from the bank. So, I mean, it would be same day at that point. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've also develop some templates so if the customer isn't picking up the phone we'll send them our wire instructions our ACH instructions advise them payments of that amount need to be sent via confirmed uh, payment uh, methods things like that that we try to attempt to persuade as well gotcha well when we move on to the VIN swapping aspect and then um, we'll kind of talk about that so there's two ways to talk about um, there's two ways to change the identity of a, of a vehicle okay uh, one, the first way that used to be the most prevalent way is what we call VIN swapping. So in that scenario, there's a vehicle that's been catastrophically crashed. 
that type that uh, that car has been in the impound lot uh, that somebody gets the VIN number off that vehicle and then they come back and they create a what we call a salvage title um, so now that vehicle's back on the road magically because they've stolen a vehicle they put those uh, that VIN number on there to change that vehicle to look like the south the the crash vehicle so now you've got that vehicle back on the road when actually it's uh, covering and masking the fact it's a stolen vehicle so the only downside that crooks see with the salvage title is that it actually takes that vehicle even though it's a legitimately rolling vehicle and won't ever be questioned that you know in normal circumstances problem is the value of that vehicle is dropped drastically because it's a salvage title right so they don't typically like to do that uh, but there's usually only one vehicle in existence under that scenario then you have what's called a vin clone vin clone typically goes like this uh, uh, vehicles that are in Can that are produced in canada or sold in canada or mexico they hold the same vin format as vehicle here but our registration systems don't talk so it's very popular for a Canadian vehicle that's uh, sold at a dealership in Canada to be a bin clone here in the United States somewhere so they they obtain that vehicle and there are um, numerous states that have easier methods of being able to um, get a new title uh, some of them are like Oklahoma, Alabama, or two of the big ones that I know of that seem to, that when we have a title fraud type scenario, they link back to either Oklahoma or Alabama. So when you now have this new vehicle that's been registered in there, that's when we start to see it affecting the finance world. So if somebody knows that it's a fraudulent vehicle or a fraudulent VIN that's from another area, then they get a, a loan out for that vehicle and they never intend to pay for that loan for that vehicle. Uh, so um, we'll see the VIN cloning from Canada and Mexico where um, they, they buy the car, they get it financed, they never intend to pay it, and then finance companies left on the hook for that. So that's when we see the VIN cloning to be a bad thing. Uh, we also see, and I'm sure you all have seen, where the fraudulent VINs are being used, uh, particularly like credit unions, where it's not a dealership that you can see the vehicle. Uh, the dealership is contacting you to tell you that the vehicle is for sale at this location and we're selling to this customer. But particularly in this, like uh, credit unions that loan directly to the individuals, and they'll say, hey, look, this is the vehicle I want to buy. They finance the vehicle, they give them a check for that vehicle. Now all of a sudden this person has cash in hand for a car that never exists or that's not actually for sale. Uh, so VIN cloning can take the form of that whenever they're pulling the VINs from another place like uh, Canada. All right, um, very difficult. Uh, VIN cloning is, and uh, Dave's gonna talk about this in a minute. Uh, VIN cloning is um, easy to do now because used to be the uh, public VIN, as we call it, that's on the dashboard, used to be engraved, used to be harder to produce. Now they look like stickers. So you just order stickers. There are sticker packages online. You can uh, get the whole VIN set, the Nader sticker in the doors, the public VIN there, any sticker that has a VIN number on it for that particular year make model, manufacturers can send you a whole sticker package to basically put on any new car you want. Um, I'm gonna let Dave finish up. We got less than five minutes, so I'll let you have it. So what we have here is an example of 
been switched on a Mercedes, and they're just Mylar labels. Suspects can go buy a high-end printer off Amazon or any kind of website. They buy the Mylar labels, and they're able to print everything out. And with the high-end high cars like a Mercedes, BMWs, Bentleys, Maseratis, that top VIN, the top sticker, is what the public VIN looks like. Where if you look at a GM, it has a barcode. Toyota has, you know, a little bit of Toyota behind and behind the VIN, and so they kind of change it up. And usually they're metal, but with a lot of the the high-end vehicles, that's how the VIN looks. And so the suspects have figured out, okay, if I could just change the public VIN with the Mylar label, the federal label, which is on the driver's side door, you just peel that off and you put a new Mylar label on there. Uh, sometimes they'll misspell words, that's a big key, but uh, it, a lot of times it looks pretty legit, and then of course with the high-end printers, the barcode will scan several times. And then on Mercedes and BMWs, they'll have that VIN plate behind the rear license plate, and same thing, they change that. Um, where we're able to identify a lot of them is just with secondary VINs, uh, hidden VINs that are either etched in certain parts of the frame or certain parts of the body of the vehicle. Uh, but for the most part, these are the three things they change, and then they're able to manipulate by getting a title, the different ways that uh, Darren just spoke about, and then they go and sell it on Craigslist, offer up, or they're even brazen enough to where they'll go tra trade it into a dealership. Dealership put on a lot, and then they'll sell that vehicle with a new loan. Um, one question I have on charged off accounts, because what we've seen a lot now is the suspects understand how the system works. They understand that a lot of finance companies, when the vehicle's charged off, a lot of times they stop looking for it. And then when we'll, we'll discover it about a year later, and what we've discovered several times up in the high desert, up in certain parts in LA County, where there'll be just a huge lot or huge warehouse with a whole bunch of high-end cars that have been sitting there for about a year. And so what they do is they'll fraud purchase the vehicle, steal the vehicle, hide it for a year, and then they'll bring it back after about a year, and then they'll go re-register it. At that time, no red flags are up, or if we identify it, we'll start contacting the finance companies. And a lot of times the finance companies just tell us, hey, it's a charge-off account, we, don't, we have no interest in it anymore. Is that, now, does any of your companies have interest in charge-off accounts, or is that pretty much across the board? And so the suspects understand how the system works. We had a case recently with the Lamborghini, where it was a fraud purchase on the East Coast. One minute, perfect. Fraud purchase on the East Coast, they've been switched it to hide it for a year, and then after the year is up, they took off all the fake labels and they re-registered it under the true VIN. And then, of course, at that time, the bank wasn't looking for it anymore, and then just dismissed it, and now they got a free vehicle, essentially. Last thing real quick, whoops, social norms. This gentleman was able to walk through a dealership acting like he's on a cell phone, and what do we do when someone's on a phone and we go try to get their attention, and they go, hey, I'm on the phone, what do we do? Walk away, right? Okay. He's able to walk through the dealership, walk out the side gate, walk through the back where they store all the vehicles, the Mercedes dealership, walk up and down, inspecting vehicles. Several employees kept hitting him up, and he just said, hey, I'm on the phone. They walk away, and finally found a vehicle with the keys, and that's on the bottom picture is him driving off the vehicle. And he did that to another Bentley dealership up in Thousand Oaks as well. And so it's, they understand the system. They understand how we work. They understand social norms, and they take advantage of a lot of that, different things. And I think that's it. Here's uh, Darren's information. All right, so if you'd like, uh, pull out your cameras, take a picture of this. Um, I'm definitely available as much as I can be. Uh, I think Kat knows that I'm available for uh, pretty much any time that I can. Um, please uh, do that. And then when you get it, uh, when everybody looks like they've taken the picture they want to take, we're going to get Dave's up there. There we go. Uh, so any quick questions before we move on? We're going to do some roundtable, but anything in particular? You also want to subscribe to your alerts is that something yes okay so go back to mine oh here we go uh, here we go okay so 
on this here, uh, I'm glad Frank brought that up. Uh, in Houston, we kind of take a unique approach. We work extremely close with the dealership industry, um, and we send out dealer alerts. So I'm very fortunate that uh, in the southeast United States, pretty much, we're the only dedicated vehicle fraud unit that I'm aware of. Uh, so just two of us do nothing but dealership cases involving vehicles. So subsequently, we created a dealer alert. I think we're up to 320 different dealer alerts we sent out. Uh, but that's sending out information about crooks that we have, fake IDs we have, uh, arrested people we have. I have tons of great stuff. I wish I could do the hour and a half long presentation. But uh, if you would like to be on this dealer alert system, shoot me an email. Let me know you were here at this conference. And then I'll add you to the list and then you'll start getting dealer alerts um, every time I send them out. Yeah, a lot of these uh, that you send, we see a lot happening across the consortium. So you can get these and just look for them because they're active identity theft. Thank you.